Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Elk Shape Podcast. This is me, Dan, the fitness man. Today, we're talking money, we're talking finances, we're talking debt, we're talking getting out of debt, we're talking retirement, we're talking saving, we're talking discipline, we're talking communication with your spouse, we're talking saving up for cool hunts, and we're talking a little bit about hunting as well. Pretty cool episode. I'm excited to bring on Jeff Bynum. He's out of Sandpoint. I met him at the airport on the way to ATA show. He introduced himself. We hit it off. Told me about his background. The dude's made a lot of money and lost it all. And he's working his way back and built his own business. Started kind of from nothing. Has blue collar roots. Loves to hunt. This is going to be a good one, guys. So as far as the elk shape stuff goes, got a couple new hats in the store. Check them out on elkshape.com. Went and killed a cougar a couple days ago. So that video is up on YouTube if you want to check that out. And what else is good? Hopefully you are out there training in the name of better elk hunting and getting in better shape or at least staying consistent, I think you should be sweating every day in the name of better elk hunting. Your nutrition should be pretty dialed, so if you need help on that, reach out to me. And I'm excited for the Elk Shape Camp coming up and headed over to the Western Expo. Hopefully we'll draw a tag, say hi to some people, hopefully maybe you. If you'll be there, I'm going to try to get in on, I think, Valentine's Day, and I'm going to try to leave that Friday night. I'm not going to be there long because I want to spend the weekend with the fam, so... Yeah, life is good. Hopefully it's going well for you. And if it's not, then you just need to weather the storm and know that if you just put in the work and you stay consistent, you're going to get where you want to be in life. Speaking of putting in the work, you guys might want to check out Corey Jacobson's University of Elk Hunting. He's hooked up with us and got you guys a special offer. I think it's a good tool, especially for the off season, how to do it right. And who better than Corey Jacobson, world-class elk caller, phenomenal elk hunter. So check out this offer from Corey Jacobson. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. 
Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic. From planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between, the University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. All right, guys. So this episode is all about fiscal fitness. I hope you dig it. If you do, make sure you reach out. Let me know what questions you might have for another time. We'll bring Jeff on. We'll dive real deep. This isn't a financial show, but we're definitely going to cover this topic. It's super important to me. I want all of you to have and lead the life that you dreamed of. Enjoy this one and have a great week. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 57. Me, Dan, the fitness man, bringing on Jeff Bynum, financial guru, a guy I met at the airport. I knew him. He didn't know me on the way to, that was a joke, ATA. And you pulled me aside and introduced yourself. And uh, as soon as I found out your background, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get you on. We, we talk about money on this podcast. So, uh, Jeff, how you doing tonight, man? Oh, dude, doing great. Uh, it's been an interesting evening. I got to sit down and have the boy talk with my eight-year-old daughter tonight, um, which was uh, a, a talk that I've been dreading, but uh, it was it was pretty good. So it's been a fun night already. Oh, my gosh. I do not look forward to that. <laughs> You're on your way, man. Matter oh, of time. Gosh, that just made me throw up in my mouth. <laughs> so it went okay, though? Yeah, it went good. There's uh there's some wild little troublemaker in her class that uh that is just a spitting image of me when I was that age and so I had to explain like, yeah, you 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 may think he's funny and all this stuff, but uh that's as far as it goes and and you know, don't let your friends pressure you into you know holding hands and so I don't know, I just stumbled my way through it. It's this whole parenting thing just a big science experiment anyways. So Yeah. <laughs> it is but, man so well introduce yeah. yourself a little bit tell everybody a little bit about yourself man yeah so uh jeff bynum uh financial outfitters group is is my company um you know i was born and raised in washington state uh kind of grew up in the mountains up uh, north of spokane in the Twila area and uh spent every day out in the woods and um you know moved uh, moved to seattle and uh, met my wife over there, who's highly educated interior designer, and uh, I started my own construction company. And life was good, man. Life was good. And then uh, through the 2008 debacle, I ended up uh, kind of changing careers and getting into the financial services industry. So um, it's been a, it's been an interesting path, but uh, I've learned a lot along the way. And um, so yeah, the last last five or six years, I, I kind of created a unique. Uh, platform to, to reach people and build clients where um, I work kind of specifically in the outdoor industry. Uh, and so I, I, I looked at it about five or six years ago. And I said, you know, 
outside of outside of group benefits and and employer plans and all that stuff uh there's not a lot going on for people in the outdoor industry and they're most of them are small business owners they're they're a lot of them are career changers they you know they've left big corporate jobs to chase their dream and they're just trying to survive out there there's not a lot of money in it and so if there was a group of people that I could come alongside and really support um that those are my people and so uh talked to the wife and prayed about it quite a bit and uh it's been it's been an interesting journey ever since but uh it has uh it's it's really been fun uh and landed me here in north idaho where i get to hang out in just one of the most amazing areas in the nation and be surrounded by public lands and hunting and fishing and all kinds of good stuff so wow that's really unique and kind of has some irony you're like construction takes a dump and then you end up in the financial industry of all yeah. things. That's crazy. So you you were in Chihuahua doing your construction or were you in Seattle? I'm trying to remember what you said. Yeah. So no, I was over in Seattle. Um, the, the construction thing, you know, it's one of those things that, that was pretty painful. So uh, I mean, I come from a blue collar background. My wife is a blue collar family and she she went to SPU, got her degree in interior design. She had her own interior design business. I started my own construction company, and we were making more money than either of our families had others ever seen in their lives. And and uh, everything was great. And so we got all these different financial people talking to us, and most of their advice revolved around buying real estate. So we bought a million dollars of real estate in 2007, and then we wake up in 2008 finding ourselves where all of our income, all of our assets, all of our liabilities, cash flow, everything was tied to the real estate world. And we lost everything. Uh, had to go through bankruptcy. And I think I was 27, 28 years old at the time. So I knew I was young. Um, and it was frustrating for me because I trusted all these people that uh, you know, I thought were were there for me, and I you know come to find out they made a lot of money off of me, and when I needed them the most, they were, they kind of disappeared, and um, so it, it kind of put me on a mission a little bit to figure out what's going on with the financial services industry, and how is it possible that everybody just you know retirements were destroyed and lives were like mine were just turned upside down, um, and that that's kind of what led me into the industry. Um, it, it's one of those things that was extremely painful, but I look back and I thank God for it all the time because uh, there's no way I could have imagined being able to help the people I, I get to help today and live the life that I get to live. You know, I get to travel around and hunt and fish and go to ATA and, you know, and call it work. Um, and sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, people tease me and they're like, Oh yeah, we see you work and you're, you're traveling around having fun. But, uh, it, it's pretty cool time being able to go out and support clients and and uh, introduce people to hunting and fishing world. So, all right. So I didn't know you're from Chewila. So living in Sandpoint, and if those that don't know, that's North North Idaho. Really beautiful town. Lake yeah. Ponderay, mountains in every direction. The Selkirks up to the Canadian border. It's amazing. So that's really not new for you because northeastern Washington's about the same country. Really beautiful as well. Um, yep. But I would choose Sandpoint over Chewila, Colville every day, <laughs> <laughs> all day long. Yeah, all day long. We won't we won't dive into all the reasons why. But uh, it, you know, when I 
we were down in Texas because uh, we just moved up here six months ago, and we were down in Texas the last four years, and that's really where I kind of built my my practice, Financial Outfitters Group, and got it off the ground, and um, and it got to a point where I, I work remote with all my clients. So I sit at my home office, I do web meetings with clients all across the country, and uh, it got to where I was like, you know, we don't. I still have an office there, so like we don't have to be at the office all the time. We we were looking at it, saying, where would we want to live, and. Uh, we started looking at different places in the country and different climates and cultures and um man north north idaho up here uh, is just fantastic they've got four full seasons which is something that you didn't get in seattle or texas uh and they've got some 70 uh, percent public lands up here you know moose bear elk all the hunting you could ever ask for um we do a lot of gardening so you know you got good growing seasons here uh we came up here and visited and just fell in love with it so um it's been it's been fantastic. Uh, we would do this ten times uh, over versus move back to Washington State. <laughs> so no offense, Washingtonians, but uh, yeah, yeah, that would be me. Uh, the <laughs> only thing I can say about Washington is uh, we don't have an income tax. That's the <laughs> only thing I can say about it. Uh, other yeah. than that, um, I don't know. But yeah. let's move on from that. So, how many kids do you have? How long have you been married? Give us the family background. Oh, man. Uh, so, daughter is nine. My son is six. Uh, the two kids married 12, going on 13 years now. Um, uh, 30, 37 or 38. How old am I? I don't know. 37, I think. But, uh, yeah, I feel I feel uh, in my knees a little bit older than that. But, uh, hopefully, that's that's about to change here a little bit. So, just started, uh, just started back into the, the old CrossFit regime again and uh added added nutrition to it so um pretty excited about that okay so we got to talk about that so you took uh, a break from crossfit and then went back to it and how long of a break yeah it's been it's been about a year um as we were getting ready to move up here last summer it just got too busy to to go and um as much as i'd like to so i I backed out um about a month or two before we left and then came up here and uh i i've had the intention to get back this whole time and and finally the the new year rolled around and I, I got back from ATA. I'm like, okay, I just got to jump back in. Otherwise, I'm I'm gonna find an excuse to to not do it until it's July, and then I'm gonna try to get back in elk shape and and you know two months, which is gonna be tough. So, um, only did CrossFit uh, for about a year down in Texas. Great box down there. Uh, if you're in the Fort Worth area, check out uh, CrossFit Eight One Seven. Really, really good people. But it was something that uh, you know I I had this moment in life where. I realized, and, and and I've followed your stuff for a long time. I've watched you and your dad hunt all over North Idaho, and it, like for me, when I look at my life, I look at it and say, you know, I I don't care about a six pack. I don't, you know, I don't care about the bit, you know, the gun show or any of that stuff. I want to chase elk with my kids and my grandkids. Like that's, I want to be able to still, uh, you know, be able to get up and down these mountains, and and even if I'm just calling for them, I don't care. Uh, like I want to hunt with my family. And Amen. I looked at it and said, you know, at 30, I think I started at at 35 and, and, uh, I was sitting at about 215 pounds or so, which is hard to say. Um, and, uh, I cut in a year, I cut about almost 30 pounds, um, got to what I felt like was some of the best shape I've ever been in my life. I got down to about 180, 185, uh, and just flew up and down the mountains of Colorado on that, uh, 2017 uh, elk hunt we did and uh, and so for me this this whole thing is just about being healthy 
um, not not having to impact my family, not having to impact my work, uh, and being able to hunt hard. So there's there's a bunch of badasses up here. So uh, I'm gonna have some trouble keeping up, but uh, hopefully we'll be ready by the time September rolls around. Yeah, you know the thing that sucks about CrossFit specifically, <laughs> since that's what I've been doing exclusively for about 11 years now, is you know you take a break and you lose it right away, and it takes you forever to get your results uh that's kind of with all fitness really i don't like the design gonna have a talk with god about that one because it seems like (laughs) you know you you blink and you lose your your results you lose your gains yeah it takes forever but um i gotta tell you going back that's a that takes a set of a set of balls to go back so how bad was your first day back were you smart or did you let the ego guide you (laughs) no i i you know, I don't have a whole lot of ego in it. Um, my goal has always been just to try to keep up with the gals. Like the women that do CrossFit are, are freaking phenomenal <laughs> athletes. That's the truth. And, and so, uh, my first day back was just a, a one-on-one session, and uh, you know, we did we did a bunch of motion stuff, and and some you know, he's checking some of my fundamentals, and uh, and I retained my fundamentals fairly well. And then he had a six-minute wad for me to do at the end, and. Uh, I made it five minutes and then I had to sit down cause I got tunnel vision so bad. I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, God. Uh, and so I was worried. I was like, Oh, this is really going to suck. And then I started my nutrition stuff and, and, uh, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and then I did my first full wad with the class on Wednesday this week and like out of nowhere, I crushed it. I, I absolutely over exceeded what I thought was going to happen. It I was, know. uh, it was a, a thirty-minute wad, uh, where every every ten minutes you start. I think it was six different movements or whatever, um, and we never did the assault bike down in down in Texas. So the assault bike's brand new to me. Which oh I mean, gosh, <laughs> yeah. So so it was you know it was it was you know, twenty calories on the assault bike and a bunch of stuff, and uh, I kept pace. Um, I had to scale a little bit on some of the weight, but I kept pace and uh, I finished in a good time and. Um, never fell behind and never passed out. So I didn't puke. I'm like, so that was, that was pretty, pretty good feeling. We'll, we'll see. I'm going back tomorrow morning. See how, see how tomorrow goes, but no doubt. Now that assault bike, man, uh, that's, that's the one thing I, I think I recommend for people that are not going to go join a gym and they're going to mm-hmm. tr- try to work out inside their, uh, garage or basement would be, I'm thinking, Assault bike. Now they're kind of pricey. They're about seven hundred, eight hundred bucks to get to your door. So, yeah, the, the assault bike is the one thing I recommend people that aren't going to go join a gym and have the gumption to work out at home and do home gym, garage gym stuff. Man, mm-hmm. I did it today. I didn't go to the gym, but I have a salt bike and a pair of dumbbells in my basement. So yeah. it's warm enough where you can just crush your soul. I spent 20 minutes doing some sort of complex with dumbbells and riding that bike. It's the devil bike. That's the nickname that uh, all the CrossFitters have given it. And if you have never done it, wait till you do it the first time. And I'm going to introduce everybody that's coming to the first elk shape camp here in a month. Our mm-hmm. first workout is nothing but burpees and the assault bike. And <laughs> we're going to murder people. No, not yes. really. That, that's not even fair, man. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to do death race. That's going to be the first workout. So if anyone's listening, that's coming to that first camp uh, teaser, you know, we we basically death race it. And if you don't know what it is, look it up. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be um, a lot of fun that camp. I'm looking forward to it. Now, as far as um, 
the nutrition that they're doing at the box that you're at there in sampling. Mm-hmm. What did they set you up with? I'm very curious. So it's a, a macro meal plan. Um, and, uh, so I'm just measuring my macros and, and, uh, making sure I'm eating the right types of foods, getting the right types of proteins, the right types of carbs and fats, um, cut out. Yeah. My issue is about nine o'clock at night, my sweet tooth kicks in and like I could pound a whole box of cereal. Um, and, and so over the last year I gained about 10 pounds, um, give or take. And that's, that's going to go away pretty quick. I'm, I'm fairly confident, but, uh, I've never eaten and I've never measured like my body, what, it, what it's resting metabolic rate is, is, and the amount of calories I should have. Um, we don't eat bad other than my sweet tooth, but, uh, we, we typically eat fairly good. My wife has some autoimmune stuff. And so we have to, we have to watch what we eat and, um, but getting the right amount of food at the right time of day, um, has, I've already in just a couple of days seen an improvement in how I feel. Oh yeah. So, so what macronutrient profile did they give you? Do you remember? Oh, oh I, I've got it. It's going to take me a second to pull it up. But, um, like 40, 30, it, 30, 40% carbs, 30% protein. Yeah, it's, it, it kind of floats around a little bit. Um, so it depends on the days that I'm, that I'm crossfitting and days that I'm not. Uh, awesome. But typically, typically it's around, uh, it's around 30, 30 carbs, five meals a day, 30 or 30 grams of protein, in between 20 and 35 carbs and, and 10 to 20 grams of fat, um, five times a day, give or take. So they, they up it a little bit every time I, you know, in between workouts and stuff. So it's, uh, but I honestly, I think it made the, made the difference in that wad that I did on Wednesday. Um, just having the energy to finish that, that, that would have been a butt kicker even when I was doing CrossFit regularly. Um, you know, one thing that, uh, is a kryptonite for a lot of us is that nine o'clock, 10 o'clock sweet tooth. Uh, bowl of cereal sounds absolutely delicious, especially to me. <laughs> like that would be my go-to. Um, mm-hmm. What I do when I'm getting feeling a little soft is I just switch. I just do like about a cup, cup and a half of ice with a little bit of like almond milk uh, and sometimes real milk. And then um, mm-hmm. a scoop of this, uh, it's called FNX is the name of the company. That's the kind of supplements I switched to from Mountain Ops a while ago. Mm-hmm. Anyways, they make a retire protein. So it's got like a, a casein protein, a, you know, so it's a slow, a slow digestion protein. It's not a fast one like a whey. And it's got a little yeah. bit of melatonin and tryptophan and a couple other little, you know, extracts that help you fall asleep as well. And it keeps you full. So I love that. That's been kind of like my go-to. It's like ice cream the way I make it. And it's, mm. you know, might throw a little bit of peanut butter in there, but the macros are good and it's a hell of a lot better than having a bowl of cereal. And uh, that's kind of what I've been doing in the evenings. We can nerd out all about CrossFit. People don't want to hear it. So since, uh, so those that are listening, my wife got called into work. I got kids running around. So we're going to do this like an AMRAP. I'm going to get as much out of Jeff as I can, as fast as I can, because my kids are going to eventually find me and bombard this podcast. Don't, um, so I got to ask you your hunting pedigree, you know, your background, how long have you been at it and what have you been, you know, I know you've chased mule deer and whitetails. What, what, where can we find you hunting? What's your favorite species and, and give us the background on your hunting, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I started archery hunting, I think I was 12 years old. Um, and, and so archery hunting is always my go-to, um, uh, but I, I do a lot of rifle hunting as well. Uh, it, I'm not I'm not a purist when it comes to that. If it's if it's in season and there's a good hunt to do, I'm I'm going. So yeah, buddy. Uh, 
<clears throat> started elk hunting in the year 2000 in Wyoming, lived out there for a couple of years uh, through high school and um, fell in love with elk hunting. Elk hunting to me is there, there's no, there's nothing else that I'd rather do than go elk hunting. Um, with the one caveat, I, I didn't get to kill a big mule deer this year. And so now I've got a little bit of a vendetta against a big mule deer. So this year, I think I'm going to try to just kill a cow as quick as I can and fill the freezer. And then it's um, dedicated to mule deer hunting. Um, so deer, I've killed blacktail, mule deer, whitetail, uh, pigs, uh, elk. Uh, haven't killed a bear yet. That's uh, I'm, I'm waiting for spring bear this year. I've never, I grew up in Washington, but never really did a lot of bear hunting. So um, I'm excited to to get after some bears. Um, also, uh, wolf is is high on my radar right now I'm in an area that like I feel like as a hunter we have a responsibility living up here in North Idaho to try kill wolves and uh, and so that's that's happening. I've been out a few times, got in on some wolves the other day, um, and it's just so brushy up here. I followed their tracks into where I figured they were close to and started howling, and, and I could hear them like 70, 80 yards out moving in the brush, kind of circling me. I only had five or six yards of visibility. Um, they eventually got my wind and took off, but, uh, it's just a matter of time before I connect with one of those guys. So yes, it is. And you know, if you check out the podcast right before yours, we go over kind of what to do up here in North Idaho when, you, you know, howling is like a, a location, a location bugle that you do to find them. And then once you get in tight, Get that Fox Pro out and maybe hit the fawn in distress or if you have a moose calf distress or a calf distress, uh, even a pup in distress, and that should bring them in. And I can't wait to try that after talking um, to Stuck in the Rut guys who live just north of you there. But um, yep. with the bears and the mild winter we're having, I got a feeling you're going to you're gonna be seeing some pretty good action on the opener. That's going to be April 15th. So be ready. And if you haven't already, man, go go over to Priest Lake area, head up north in there. The bear densities are absolutely insane. Watch out for grizzlies. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. the black bears over by that area, and that's not far from you. That's just over the other side of the Selkirks for you. Um, mm-hmm. unbelievable bear country. So what what I was going to ask you about financially, because that's why I want to bring you on. We talk about discipline a lot on this podcast because I feel like discipline is the only thing I can look back at my 37 years on this planet and, and say, okay, that is what's led me to where I'm at. That's the only way someone like me who's maybe not talented but knows how to work hard and do it consistently, it's discipline. And mm-hmm. I want to talk about discipline, finances as well. <laughs> Our audience, if I looked at the you know the demographics and, and you look at maybe even like some of the stats, it looks like we got a lot of guys listening ages twenty five to thirty five, and then we got a lot of guys listening ages thirty six to forty five, and then a few here and there, but but there's that's the bulk. And so maybe speak to those two different audiences and we can even use myself for example. Like I have a financial advisor. He doesn't mm-hmm. hunt, but uh, I actually have my annual meeting with him next Friday. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I I have mixed emotions about him. I feel like you know, I feel like he's all right. I'm not like overly sold. I don't think he's yeah. like uh, a genius by anything. He's definitely smart, um, but. You know, we might have different philosophies, but he's been my financial advisor since I was 19 years old. So let's talk about those two different age groups, demographics, and kind of what – let's just start with some foundational good best practices when it comes to managing money. Sure, yeah. So it's it's a tough conversation to have in a a, a 10-minute time frame, and and, uh, but – 
part of the problem with the financial services industry, and this is what I learned back in 2008, is that this industry is built on this huge sales chassis. And so you have financial advisors, insurance guys. As mortgage brokers, real estate agents, CPAs, and you know the list goes on and on. You walk into the bank, and there's you know open a five twenty nine, and there's all these different financial products and services that are being thrown at us on a constant basis, and we need all those things at some point throughout our life. But it's a lot like uh, you remodeling your house, so it's a lot like walking into Home Depot, not knowing anything about construction, and grabbing a pile of tools off the shelf, and you know you ask the guy at Home Depot, "What's the best hammer?" And, he just starts, oh, I like the feel of this one. And, and so the way that we as consumers have been taught to make decisions around money is in the same approach. We walk, walk into an institution, we call our insurance guy, hey, what's the best thing for me? And they'll pull a product off the shelf and, and, and then you're off and running. And so what's not happening in all those conversations is no one has taken the time to say, look, here's how all this stuff has to fit together. And when I saw that in 2008, that's what I realized was kind of the missing piece. And so I'm a financial advisor as well. But for me, I spend the majority of my time on the financial planning side of things because I realize if if people can learn how to use the tools they have as well as make sure they have the right tools in their tool belt, they're going to be able to get to where they want to go without waking up someday and having created some sort of unintended consequence in their life. You know, waking up going, man, I wish I realized that was going to happen. Um, and so, you know, we, we can take a look at the baby boomer generation some around 90% of baby boomers uh, are retiring and having to take huge pay cuts. And, and so we can look at the financial strategies and what they've done to get to where they're at. And that should be our first indication. Like, okay, if, if 90% of them are having to take huge pay cuts in retirement, I don't want to do what they're doing. And it's, it's not that the tools that they have are the wrong tools. It's how they've been taught to use them. And so for that 25 to 35-year-old demographic, a lot of those people are coming out of school, a lot of them have student loan debt, they're buying their first cars, they're getting married, they're trying to start families, they're buying houses, they're doing all these things, but yet when they go to you know, Boeing or Microsoft or Apple or any of these you know, big employers, the first thing that happens is they're automatically enrolled in the 401k. And, and you think you, you hear the things like, oh, you'll be, always be in a lesser tax bracket when you retire, or there's matched money, and you're, so you, you've got to do it as 100% return. And and something that's important to look at is the timing of when you take on something like that. Uh, all too often, I, especially with younger clients, um, there's this cultural feeling that if they're not doing the 401k, they're missing out. And so I'll take people through a process and we'll look at the value of a 401k uh, or, or even an IRA and we'll say, is this the right time to do this? Is this where your cash flow should be going? And, and what they see and what I, the recommendation I've made a lot of times is that let's hold off on doing that for a couple years, two, three years, so that we can build up the right amount of liquidity. We can pay off some debt. We can make sure you're in the right, the, the, the right ratio of short-term capital, mid-term capital, long-term capital, um, so that you don't end up working your way through life. And when something happens, uh, having to depend back on credit cards. Sorry, dude. Oh, it's all good, man. I had how, old are, how old are your kids again? Three. Basically going on three, and it's my son. He, okay. He's sitting here pounding on the door, and I'm trying to absorb all of this awesome information that I'm super <laughs> fascinated with. So I don't know where you stopped at, but I was like, all right, I got to grab him. But I'm sure he'll be back. My wife's going to be home here in 10, but I'm going to keep going. Yeah, it's all um, good, buddy. 
so I mean, it, it's a great example. You got a three year old, and and so you know, like, okay, my my three year old's going to school someday. Like, I, I want them to go to college, and so what do I do? And um, you know, we've we've been taught, just conditioned. Like, we walk in and we see a five twenty nines on the board. And they go, oh, I guess I got to do a five twenty nine. And what is uh, a five twenty nine? So 529 is a tax uh, – it's a tax-deferred or tax-free account depending on how you use the money. But it's it's similar to an IRA, but it's designed for college funding. Oh. So you, you throw money in, um, and if you qualify, you get a tax deduction on the money that you throw – that you put in there. Uh, typically, they're invested in the stock market. Um, and then at when the, when the child hits college age, you can start pulling those funds out and as long as they're – uh, going towards approved uses, uh, tuition, books, room, board, that type of stuff, then it comes out tax-free. So, What if it's you're a, from the school of, I ain't paying for your school. I paid for my school. You pay for yours, kid. And some people <laughs> might be like, oh, dude, you're stupid. But that's like literally, that's, that's my philosophy. My parents were like, we're not paying for your school. We're not paying for your school at all. You get a job and, and go to school and Fortunately for me in my scenario, I worked more than full-time from the age of mm-hmm. 18, and I came out with a master's degree owing zero dollars just because I worked a ton of hours. So that's why I'm a little callous when it comes to like, oh, setting aside money for these kids at school. I feel like, you know what? It's on you, and yeah. it's your debt, and maybe you'll treat it pretty – You know, you'll take it a little more seriously when you start seeing how much it costs to get an education. Yeah. No, I – I don't disagree with you. Uh, and uh, me personally, I'm saving for my kids' schools, not using 529s, but um, I'm saving for it. But I don't know what my kids are going to do. I'm pretty sure my son's going to be a plumber. Like we went to the restore today and in uh, the rehab for humanity or whatever. And, like he just got he just geeked out with all the plumbing fittings. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> He loved mechanical stuff, and like I, I would fully support him going going into the trades. Uh, I love it. I I still build stuff. I still I build furniture and all that. But uh, you know, it, the problem is, and this is what I've experienced with clients is there's this societal pressure to do things, and they think, oh my gosh, I've got to save for I've got to save for my kid's college. And when you look at and you start measuring their cash flow, they're throwing money that should be going towards paying off debt or saving for a medical expense or uh, you know, paying down their mortgage, things that are more immediate, more happening sooner in life, but yet they're putting their money out into an environment that's locked up, it's at risk, it's fee-driven. Again, it's not that those things are bad, but it's the timing of when they do those things. So uh, yeah. a, a lot of what we have to do is not only have the discipline to make right decisions, but we have to be we have to be understanding when those decisions should be happening in our life and what's what's a priority. Does that make sense? Uh, I, lo- I think that makes a lot of sense. And um, well, I think we got to go back to maybe that 24, 25-year-old uh, hunter that uh, just finally graduated, got their real job, starting to see some cool paychecks coming in. They're starting to experience mm-hmm. – maybe they got their first or second credit card. What's their first step towards making decisions that are going to affect them in the long term as well as the short term? Yeah. Well, uh I mean, it depends if they've got student loans or not, but the most, most likely, yeah, most likely majority of them do. Um, and so we, you got to have a strategy for the student loans and there's a lot of different ways to pay off student loans and whether it's even the right time to start paying it or if you need to defer it. But even before you get aggressive on student loans, 
you need to have a liquidity in your life. You need to have a savings account. You need to have a cushion, um, an emergency fund. And and so all too often we see people they get out of school, they go they go stack up a, a car loan. They're they're getting aggressive on their student loans, and they're living paycheck to paycheck in their life. So the mm-hmm. the, the first step is saying, all right. We got to look at where all your cash flow is going and start pulling it back so that you can have six months of reserves. And it's it's not about it's not all just about emergencies, but maybe you want to start a business. Maybe you want to maybe you want to start a career that you know has a lower salary, but a, but there's no top end on commissions. Or there's all kinds of scenarios in life where our personal finances hold us back. Maybe we want to go on that elk hunt in, in Wyoming or whatever it may be. Um, Having the right amount of liquidity set aside, at working your way through life and building buckets of capital in the right order, uh, allow those opportunities to come up and the uh, the decision to take advantage of them be appropriate. Definitely. So I think that's genius. What when it comes to credit cards? What's your thoughts on them, generally speaking? And sure. then are there some better ones out there? What to just carry around and you rack up miles or cash rewards and paying them off or are you anti-credit what's the deal with credit cards yeah yeah so um i mean you you hear a lot of different trains of thoughts on credit cards um i have a couple credit cards uh and every card that i have is intentional and i use it specifically as business card i have a personal card and the cards that i have i want to make sure that they produce some sort of result for me that i want so i I have miles because i get to travel quite a bit um and so i use my miles all the time for work Mm -hmm. uh and the important thing about credit cards is you, you can use them but pay them off every single month um you know if you're trying to improve your credit you never want to put on a credit card, even if you pay your credit card off every single month, you never want to put more than 25% on your credit card. So if you have a $10,000 limit, you never want to charge more than $2,500 in a month, even if you're paying it off every single month. Um, and it, otherwise, you get above 25 to 30%, and it starts to, it starts to have a little bit of a negative effect on your credit. Um, so Credit cards are credit cards are a tricky thing. There's a lot of train of thoughts that you should never have a credit card, and I have clients, and I absolutely support them in that. And you know, I've seen myself in credit card debt. I know the impact that has to a household, and stress, and the anxiety, and what that can bring into a marriage. And so, um, it it's one of those traps that uh, like we just step in as consumers so easily because. And the way the system is designed, you know, you get out of school, get aggressive on your get aggressive on your student loans, and sign up for that four hundred one k because there's free money, and buy a house, you know, and all these decisions start stacking up, and pretty soon you realize I have no liquidity, I have no emergency fund, and it and all it takes is one life event for things to go wrong, and it it may not even be a life event, and maybe I just need a vacation, you're like you know I'll pay for this another time, and yeah. and and then you're hooked. And uh, another big one, and I'll, I'll mention this, it's, it's around buying homes. Um, I was just going to go there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But this is one of the areas that, like, particularly with the baby boomer generation, um, that I've seen a lot of poor decisions. And it's one that I've made poor decisions in uh, several times. And um, when you sit down and you look at how much home I should buy, you know, the, buying your home and owning a home is the American dream, all that stuff. You sit down, not, not there's anything wrong with mortgage brokers or real estate agents, anything out there, but uh, common knowledge or whatever you want to call it says, you know, buy a home that's around 25 to 30% of your debt to income. Meaning if you make $100,000 a year, your mortgage, mortgage payments, if you annualize them, shouldn't be more than about 25 grand a year. And 
the problem that that causes is that it, it it trains people to buy way too much home. And so when it comes when it comes to home purchases, it's one of the biggest decisions you'll make in your life. You need to try to cap your home at 15% of your gross income. And that's for a 30-year principal and interest mortgage. So you make $100,000, uh, 15% of $100,000 is 15 grand a year. You divide that by 12. That should be your, your payment, um, your monthly payment, principal and interest on a 30-year note. And, uh, and what that does is that leaves you enough room to where you can still save and afford to do the things you want to do in life. Um, as soon as you get above that 15, 16%, you start getting into the 20, 30% range. You're house uh, poor. You're house poor. That's right. The first house I bought, here's how, here's how bad it was. Um, I was self-employed, uh, in, uh, had my construction company. My wife is self-employed and the mortgage broker had us buy a home that was 55% debt to income, aided income. And he was like, and, and he stretched our income to, to qualify. And he told us this is totally fine because you're never going to lose money. Like, and some of that's on me. I think I was chasing the dream a little bit too much there, but, um, it, you know, the, that home purchase is, is going to set you on a course that, uh, will have consequences or will be one of the best, th- best decisions you've ever made. So I agree. And my first house I bought was, I was 21 and I just didn't take the time to really think ahead as far as the size of the house, the price of the house and the chances of the house going up in equity. I, mm-hmm. I bought a house that had basically already been flipped, so I couldn't do anything to it to really increase the value. It mm-hmm. wasn't set up to where I could have like a bunch of other college buddies rent out a bunch of other rooms. And mm-hmm. I lived in that house for 10 years and sold it for, I think, a little bit less than I paid for it. And uh, that was my first like, uh, I suck at real estate, <laughs> you know. And yeah. currently, Alicia, Alicia bought the house that we're living in now, my wife. And the reason mm-hmm. why I say that is like I literally we – were, we sold our house. We were looking for a house. We were running out of time and we were going to rent until we found what we were looking for. I was pretty specific. I wanted a place to shoot my bow in the backyard. I wanted a shop, you know, stuff like that. And um, I wanted a certain price range. And so I got the man flu and mm-hmm. she's like – when I get the man flu, dude, I'm done. Like I literally don't do anything but sleep. Oh yeah, a- until yeah. it's gone. And it took me we're, like we're worse than our kids. Yeah, when we get sick as men, it's like the wives know that they're in trouble because um, we're just we're huge babies, man I'm babies, man baby. And so she literally like we were out of time, and she's like, "Honey, I I found a house. I'm gonna buy it." And I was like in the bed, and I was like, "Cool, buy it. I don't care. I just don't feel." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, it was, seems like it's working out. You at least you got your fixer upper, anyways. We so. do. I mean, definitely could flip this house, but it's still another six hundred dollars more than we were paying at our last house, which mm-hmm. was a brand new house that we had built. And so mm-hmm. we made some good money on that house as far as lived there for three years and and made some you know some capital gains off of it or whatever. But I still don't like how much our mortgage is a month and doing your formulas. It's still not right. It's not in the sweet spot. It's a little outside of the sweet spot. So we're still trying to figure out what to do here. Um, we have mm-hmm. we have room to potentially try to build a, a rental on our actual property. We have two acres. Oh, nice! And so we're thinking about doing that, but we're also thinking about flipping it or just staying. I mean, it's an amazing house. It's gorgeous, and and we're like I said, we're starting on the kitchen next week. But we're uh, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But I would just say. My feedback to your commentary is just like, amen, like definitely 
buy smaller, buy what you need, not what you want. And it is mm. such an important decision. And I think that American dream is almost overrated to be house poor is no fun, especially if you're a hunter. You need yeah. some extra dough to go hunting. It's not cheap. Yeah. Well, and it's not a dream when you can't afford your house anymore. Like that's, it, it turns into a nightmare quick. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing that, that I'll speak to while we still have some time here, probably the most important thing that, that I help develop with my clients is their savings ratio. Like somewhere, somewhere along the line in like the mid seventies, um, the 401ks became popular. And pre-401k, everybody pretty much had pension plans, which a pension plan is similar to an annuity where a corporation or an entity is guaranteeing you some amount of retirement income, normally around 60% of your pre-retirement earnings. And in order for them to uphold that guarantee, corporations would have to set a huge amount of money on their balance sheets and, and set it aside and earmark it for that. That's why you hear about you know, United Airlines going yeah, – they, they filed bankruptcy because of the pension plan. It wasn't because of business operations. Their pension plan liability got so large that they couldn't fulfill it. Uh, Kaiser Aluminum right there in Spokane filed bankruptcy in 1993. Um, and so – what happened when that 401k got introduced, instead of the corporation being responsible to fulfill a promise around how much income you're going to receive, they got to transition and say, we can add money to an account on your behalf. But you as the employee now become 100% responsible for producing retirement income. And when that transition happened, there was a train of thought that never, that never got adjusted. And it was around how much money you should save. And so, you know, people are always, oh, you need to save 10, 15% of your income. When we look at the math and the science around saving 10 to 15% of your income and trying to retire with a 401k and having that 401k produce enough income in retirement so that you can try to maintain your lifestyle, it's just not possible. No. And, and so we've gone years and years and years where you know people are trying to save i think the the, the national average is somewhere around 5% but if you ask most people oh yeah 10% the reality is you need to be saving close to 25% of your income maybe a little bit more which is darn near impossible i've i've come across one or two clients in 10 years that are actually doing it um, <laughs> but for everybody else it's it's a easy five-year journey to get to that savings ratio. But you have to be super intentional about it. You have to, every time you get a bonus, a tax return, all of your decisions you make, you've got to be thinking about that uh, in those decisions and trying to get to that savings ratio. And the reason it typically takes five years is if, if you're getting pay raises, you need to try to maintain your lifestyle, the same, li- same standard of living as much as possible. Let those pay raises stack up and those pay raises are every time you get that pay raise or that bonus, it increases your savings ratio to where you get to that that right amount. And the cool part is once you get to that right amount, like we'll I'll do some budgeting stuff with my clients in those first first five years. But once they get to that right savings ratio and they've developed that discipline, you don't have to use a budget anymore. You just continue saving that twenty percent and twenty-five percent. And the rest of the money is yours. As long as you're not adding on debt and you're not missing your bills, you pay your bills, you pay your mortgages and all that, you spend the money however you want to spend it. So yeah. if you want to be somebody that is out there going on these awesome hunts that you see you know, all the Insta celebrities doing all the time, you have to be a dedicated saver. It's the only way to get there. 
And that requires discipline, my friends, just like working out and eating right so you can kill a big bull comfortably. I will tell you, man, this is a good segue into doing all these cool financial things and, and, and thinking about them. It's not going to work if you're married and you guys aren't on the same page. And I'm the prime example where my wife and I did not share uh, the same checking account for like the first three years of marriage. Mm-hmm. And it was a nightmare until we finally got together and worked on our debt, we kind of did a little bit of Dave Ramsey, a little bit, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, here we are now, um, 37, and I have one debt, and it is a house. My gym, nothing, I don't owe anything on my gym, I don't have car payments, Jeez. but but when we first got married, man, it wasn't like that. We were living paycheck to paycheck, barely. She was over, she was withdrawing all the time and she had a ton of debt from school, credit cards and a car. And so when we got together on the same page, it changed everything. And you know, couples only fight about a few things and money is usually right (laughs) up there. So what do you have know that you've probably worked with couples? Where should couples start? What are some best practices for them to work together synergistically to achieve their financial goals? That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, you mentioned Dave Ramsey and I've, I've been through all of his courses and, uh, there's a love hate relationship with Dave Ramsey. If you're somebody that's in the financial planning or services industry. Yep. Um, and, but what I love about him is, is he does a great job of getting couples to be on the same page and, and, uh, you know, coming together, setting goals and getting aggressive about them and, and going through the, going through that process, you you can look back today in your own life and say, you know, that, that debt and everything that we had to work our way through the depth and relationship that you built in that process, you wouldn't trade it for anything because it's, it's created who you guys are today. And so, um, everybody's situation is a little bit different. The most important thing is that you got to be dedicated to your future. And, and so a lot of, a lot of husbands and wives, um, you know, one or the other will be the decision maker on the financial side of stuff. But because so much what we do is teaching and helping people understand their decisions, it's something where they both need to be present for that. And they'll set goals and then they both commit to lifestyle to achieve their goals and, and increasing their savings ratio, building the right types of assets at the right time, having the right protections in place. It's a tricky one because half of my job turns into sometimes marital counseling. I can <laughs> uh, imagine, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, you start talking about people's money and you, you really start to learn a lot about individuals. So um, I don't know if that's the best answer or not in the world, but... Uh, you know, get a trusted financial planner, a trusted financial advisor, find somebody that you know, and you trust, uh, work with them, set some goals and, and work on your financial health the same way you try to tackle fitness or being a better hunter or anything, anything in life. Um, it's only going to improve your marriage. We'll probably, I got a couple questions. I got to very limited time. So I got to like speed this up and my shopping financial advisors, I obviously have one. He's not a hunter. He's not going to listen to this podcast. Great guy. I don't know if he's the best fit for for my personality. I'm meeting with him, like I said, next week. What are some things to look for and to look out for when shopping for financial advisors? Oh, man, it's uh, you got to go with your gut. And uh, people are tired of being sold to. Um, and so if you're sitting there and you're feeling like someone's trying to force a product on you or a strategy on you and you don't understand it, um, you don't, you don't really like it. It's just not there. 
and they're not willing to move beyond it or they're not taking the time to educate you on how to use that tool, you're not sitting in front of the right person. Um, there, there are good people at every institution out there. And, and so, you know, I, I have friends that are direct competitors and I absolutely appreciate the work that they do with their clients because they have the right heart and they take the time to teach. And I think that's the most important thing. There, there's a lot of different philosophies around financial planning, investing and insurance and all this stuff and how they all fit together. But at the end of the day, you need to understand what you're doing and you need to have someone that's willing to take the time to teach you how to, how to use those tools correctly. That's awesome. All right. Here's my kind of my last financial question. And by the way, I'm going to try to bring you on at another time because I really want to dive deeper, man. And I don't even care if we use myself as an example because (laughs) I want people to have a life that they want to live and a life that is full of joy and where the one thing I like about Dave Ramsey is like he's not saying like, hey, just get rich and go live for yourself. He's like, hey, go get out of debt and bless other people. And I love that concept. So, Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, hunting and applications, a lot of guys probably can't afford to do what I do, but I've done it for over 10 years where I've put out a lot of money into these draws and I have an account set aside. So to me, it's like monopoly money, but there's services out there where people will do all your applications for you for a fee and they'll front the money. I don't really know how those work. I've never really trusted those. I've always just been like, I'm going to use my own money and I'm just going to write off, you know, the fees that I pay that I don't get back. And then if the, uh, you know, the fishing game departments of each state take my money, but I don't draw and I get my money back, that's fine. It goes back into that monopoly account. And I put a little bit in that account each year. So it's whole, uh, I don't, this might be a complicated question, but like, what's the best way to put in or start building points and, and setting aside money? Do you have anything, mm-hmm. knowledge or wisdom to speak to that approach? Well, I mean, right off the top, you just need to be a saver in general. If you're not, if you don't have the right amount of money set aside for the transmission going out in your pickup, uh, you, you probably should not be going on a five or ten thousand dollar hunt. Um, so, for me, uh, you know, I've never gone on a guided hunt because it's just something that I can't afford. I enjoy the DIY stuff. Um, but it's not something that I would do with outside outside of community. So if if you're looking at it and you're saying, all right, how do I how do I go do some of these things? You need to find you need to find a community to be part of. Like, uh, backcountry hunters and anglers. I, I love BHA. I've done a ton of work with BHA down in Texas. I was on their board. Um, a lot of those guys that are down there, they're flatlanders. They've never they've never been able to do you know these western style hunts. And uh, you know I took three BHA guys on a on a backpack elk hunt in Colorado. Um, after the rendezvous this year, I'm not sure how many we've got, but I think it's going to be around five or six guys from Oklahoma and Texas are coming up and we're going to go on a bear hunt afterwards. And, and so that's something that they would not have the means or ability to do if they just had to go out and all hire guides. And so that, that comes from community. And, and so I think community is a big part of it. Um, being a disciplined saver across the board is a big part of it. Uh, as far as states, uh, I started buying points about 10, maybe 12 years ago. And for me, I started specifically in Wyoming. I love Wyoming. It's my favorite state to hunt. Yes. And I started with elk. And I said, you know, this is what I can afford. I, I've got that 60 bucks a year. It's not going to crush me. Um, and I started buying elk points. And then a year or two later, I added on deer points. And then I added on some antelope points. And then I added on Arizona. And then I added on Colorado and Montana. And, um, and so uh, the my 
as I've developed financially, as I've, as I've become personally a better saver and my situation has changed and I can afford to, to set aside five, 600 bucks a year on points, I, I'm trying to build a strategy where right now around every other year I can draw a trophy tag. And that's, that's kind of my goal is every other year because that's about what I can afford and just even a cost of doing a DIY hunt. Um, about 10 years from now, I should be able to draw one or two trophy tags a year. And, and hopefully, uh, I'll be in a spot where I can financially afford to do that type of hunting as well. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot more questions I'm going to ask you on the next one. I do want to bring you back on and dive a little deeper and absolutely lis- listeners, please post comments, send me messages on Instagram or elk shape at Gmail, your financial questions for Jeff and we'll bring them on and we'll tackle them together. We'll learn together. This community of Elk Shape is a bunch of like-minded do-it-yourself, blue-collar, hard-working family guys that just can relate to each other that, hey, we have this burning passion to, to get out there and hunt. But we also, you know, we want to take care of our family first. Family comes first. And, and as a man of the house, I'm just an old-school guy. Like, you got to start by disciplining your children and disciplining your finances and disciplining yourself on fitness and just doing things that aren't sexy. And one of those things is saving money and being smart with your money and being intentional. So where can people learn more about your, you know, your business and your services? I want to give you a plug because I think you are a sharp guy. Hey, I appreciate it. Um, I've just learned uh, how to how to learn from mistakes. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the best that's teacher. My story. Yeah. Uh, so you can check me out on my uh, my website, Financial Outfitters Group. Uh, the address for that is fin f i n outfitters dot com. And uh, I'm on Instagram, Bynum Life uh, on Instagram. You can hit me up there. Uh, but yeah, it, there's uh, if there's something I can do to help you think through this stuff, uh, I'm all I'm, I'm all for it, man, hundred percent. Hey, well, next time you're in Spokane, which I know is sooner than later, bring your bow. We'll head to the range, <laughs> shoot some arrows, and we'll talk some financial philosophy, and um, we'll bring you back on for another round, man. Appreciate it's your time. A, it sounds awesome. All right, bud. We'll talk to you soon. All right, have a great night. You too. Bye.